lot of companies think that tools are the things that solves problems. The truth is that problems stems not from tools. It's always a change management problem that might be in the organization. There is always a people problem in most cases, and there is a collaboration problem. And then also processes as well. So what I recommend to companies that you have a problem, instead of looking at a tool, first figure out what's the process that will help solve the problem. Hello and welcome to the Ecom Ops Podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. I'm your host, Norbert Strappler, the CEO of SingSpider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ecom Ops podcast. And today I'm talking to Federico, who has a really rich background across various sales roles. And uh, he thinks that buyers prioritize solutions, not internal sales processes. And I think that's the truth, Federico, but please tell us more about yourself. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Norbert. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, sure. I think my, my role, of course, spans across uh, the multiple areas, as you mentioned. So starting my career in, uh, in sales, particularly B2B sales, working with mostly within the software space, SaaS, uh, and just more general like technology. At the moment, I'm the director of sales enablement at uh, GenAccept, which is a, a focused on in the sales tech industry. But in short, my focus is always about understanding how company can build structures, processes, and just in general, a sales architecture that allows for the upskilling of, of salespeople in a consistent manner across the board. Organization, you know, have generally global teams, uh, and it's very hard to reach that level of consistency across the, the sales force, right? So the aim is that how do you build an infrastructure that allows for that? Aside from that, very passionate about everything that has to do with enablement, psychology. I'm a very multidisciplinary individual. I'm a mindfulness teacher. I've, I'm a coach. I love the coaching side of things, uh, but I love technology. Uh, I think all of these areas uh, do cross paths within the field of sales enablement. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much for your intro. Let us dive directly uh, into some topics. In the world of uh, traditional sales tactics, where they often have uh, fallen short, can you share some innovative approach or tactic that has uh, significantly impacted your sales outcomes, but not only at GetAccept, but maybe in general for customers where you implemented that? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, that's, a, I think, a fair point. And I think when we talk about tactics, often a tactic, you know, it, it feels like something that you, okay, you figure this thing out, then you try it out. And, you know, people often go for the shiny objects, I call it, right? So you have a tactic and you try it out and then maybe it doesn't work and then you try something else and so forth. The issue with sales tactic in general is that Maybe you don't have like a repeatable system where over time you can gather the necessary feedback to see whether things are working or not. I think some tactics that I would say strategy that have worked well with organization is first of all, understanding based on what you are selling in the market as an organization, it's understanding what might be a methodology of selling that might fit well, considering the, the type of bias I'm interacting with. So I think there is an initial work to be done around understanding what some of this methodology might be. Once you figure out what is the sales methodology I could adopt, from my perspective, it's more important that you adopt something and you stick to it for uh, enough, long enough amount of time. And you are in rolling it out in a way that 
I would say is uh, consistent and repeatable across the organization. So get, let's give an example, right? So let's say, you know, you realize maybe consultative selling is something that will work best for your organization because your sales cycle is more complex. You are discussing this with a lot of bias. Uh, problems are also very complex. It's not transactional. In that case, you know the methodology. Then it's about building a program that will sustain that. So in that case, <clears throat> it's about really planning that in advance with some clear deliverables and what it takes to roll out a methodology. And then from there, it's about like having a, a sustained, let's say, path over a period of six to 12 months in which you can gain to full adoption. You could gain some short-term wins, how they call it, right? So often a sales tactic is something that you might think, you know, it might reach for a short-term win. But the truth is that true sustainable change requires time. And it's more important that you figure out what's the methodology that will give the greatest success within your organization and then go about implementing with a structured plan. That will serve you in the medium to long term a lot more and you will reap the benefits. Uh, so to, if I give a fun example, in GetAccept, we have rolled out MedPick, which is a very well-known methodology in the sales space. And the reason for that is because we are approaching customers that are bigger in size. So we need to move our market. And to do that, moving our market requires us to be a lot more adept, engaging with multiple stakeholders, tailoring the value proposition, depending on the, the different problems that our customer might have. Uh, we have a very broad suite of products. So that, again, requires a lot more skill in identifying what to propose when based on what problem. And that methodology fitted the, the, the checklist, I would say, and therefore that's why we decided to implement that. So having a, I would say to summarize, having a methodology and a process, implementing it and sticking to it, and then iterating over time is more important. It's more important to have something than trying a lot of different tactics and have loads of different things. I got it. Thank you so much. I have my company since now 18 years. And that's, let's say, a time when it's always, of course, you're thinking about growth. You're thinking about how to make the sales better. But a customer typically comes to you because you have a specific kind of service or the marketing team could make good ads to generate an inbound lead. And they have a request. They have a problem that they want to solve. They maybe need a product. And you prepare that offer, you send it over. And of course, you call the customer and say, hey, the offer is ready. You've got it. Let's go through it. Is essentially a thing that you could make it better or you could make it more streamlined to make it easier to track everything, to understand everything, how it, it works. Because I think most of the companies, most of the companies do it just like that. They don't have a process. They don't have, they just, it comes in, you make an offer, you send it out, you call afterwards. That's a used scenario. What does all those different patterns mean for companies? How could they really push the sales into other directions? And at which point does it make sense to implement something like cold outreach or cold calls or whatever to increase okay. the growth? I think you need to take a step back and first understand, okay, what type of service you're selling, right? So if you're describing to me something where someone comes inbound, then you have a first conversation and then you might do a follow-up after that, that sounds to me quite somewhat transactional selling in that case, right? So you might be a very short sales cycle. Yep. That's the case and you have a lot of inbound, short sales cycle, often, you know, having a, like a clear methodology, let's say, that it might not be required to the extent that I've described it, right? But let's take a case which is slightly more complex, where, for example, you're having an inbound, 
and then you have to go through multiple steps despite the, the company might have already a need and might have a budget for it, but still they have to involve so many other stakeholders, other people have to evaluate things, maybe from a technical perspective. Then the question becomes how do you streamline that process and make it more systematic? I think from that perspective, I think the first thing that you will have to focus as an organization is understanding what types of inbound you're getting and what are the types of buyer that are more likely to come through your door and really build playbooks around that to allow your sellers to fully understand the world of the buyer. Because if they understand truly who they're speaking to, they are able to empathize a lot more with them and also approach the conversation in a way where they can be perceived as a trusted advisor. And I think that's what what organization can do. So if you're having inbound leads, and you probably can easily understand what type of inbound leads is, I think most organizations will understand more or less what is the NICP. And if they're not, I would really suggest at some point of their maturity level to really figure that out. Once they're segmenting those, it's about training the sales team to understand, okay, when you're speaking with these type of people, that's their work, that's what they care about, these are the metrics, et cetera, et cetera. So that they can approach that conversation from a different angle, right? They can ask better questions. And in general, if you think about it, when you know someone, the quality of the question you will ask, it goes higher because you are more relevant. There is more resonance with, the, with your process. So I think that's what I will start from. <clears throat> you also mentioned for regarding the the outbound when you, when you start doing outbound, maybe when you say you add coverage and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. It all depends on <clears throat> uh, first of all, of course, the level of inbound. What are your revenue goals? Let's say you know at this point with your inbound you reach a certain level, but you have a, a certain revenue goal. At that point, you might have to consider adding some more tactics. Right in general. Uh, for organization, of course, if they have a marketing team, it's good to have a marketing team that is generating demand. That's very important. But at the same time, if you're building a sales team, then you want to start thinking, having a multi-channel approach, right? So it's a mix of using the phone, email, and LinkedIn, perhaps, and understanding how do you create sequences that leverage all these three areas, and you equip your sellers with the skills to be able to execute in those areas. A lot of companies maybe use only one channel, Maybe they go all in uh, just email. But the thing is that a lot of, there are types of buyers that will never respond to you by email, no matter how good is the email, right? But some buyers will respond to the phone. If you get them on the phone, they are happy to talk. You know, they just want to do things more quicker. They are, don't have time to respond to your email. Other people will respond to your LinkedIn, for example. So the multi-channel approach allows you to reach more buyers and at least engage in that first conversation. So that's yeah, that's how some initial thoughts. We can delve deeper into anything as well. Absolutely. What do you understand under sales enablement? I think a lot of organizations don't understand fully what sales enablement is. And, and often this is, first of all, an area that has developed first in the US. In the European side, and even if you go like on the even more far the east, of course, enablement is not yet as developed. It's quite a new area. But it's an area that has, has, was born out of the fact that with the advent of technology, and sales technology specifically, with all the tools that are available, it becomes very difficult to navigate that complexity and understanding, okay, what tools does my team, sales team needs to succeed in this new digital landscape, right? Uh, when I think about sales enablement, you can break it down into six areas, and I write a lot on this on my blog. And you're having the first area to consider is sales training. That's one area. Then you have having the other pillar, which is sales coaching, that generally goes hand in hand with sales training, right? So you do sales training. Then after that, you want to continue to coach your reps to success. Often that coaching is taken from the managers. but Sometimes you might have a, a bigger enablement teams, depending on the size of the company, that does their job for you. 
Then you've got sales content, right? So this is all the content and resources you provide the sales team to engage the buyer. This can be internal content that, you know, it might be playbooks, for example, how do you run a discovery call uh, or how do you run a demo, but also external content, right? So if this is content that would, you might send, for example, a, a proposal to the customer. You might send a product deck with different features, what it means, pricing, ROI calculators, all this kind of stuff, as things that you engage the buyer with to influence the final decision. Then you've got sales process and methodology. And this is what we discussed just before at the beginning when I said to you, like understanding what will be the methodology of selling that will best fit your business based on the buyer you're interacting with. So that's a very important area, sales process and methodology. And then you've got the cross-functional collaboration. I think this is a final important piece in sales enablement is sales enablement is a, works across the entire GTM organization, go to market organization, because you have to liaise with marketing for some of the sales content. You have to liaise with the managers to build the sales training and also get their buy-in as well for coaching, for example. To summarize, this sales enablement encompasses these main five areas. So sales training, sales coaching, sales content, uh, you've got sales process and methodology and cross-functional collaboration. That will make up the umbrella term of, of sales enablement. Awesome. Very good explained. I fully got it now. And that's uh, really great because it's an important term. All companies outside need to sell, want to grow, make more revenue and to understand what is important about that. It really describes it very well. You named it already. There are also a lot of tools involved when it comes to sales and with ChatGPT or with AI in general, with uh, increasing of integration and automation of the sales process, in which direction is this going? And do we even need a human approach still, or can we automate a lot of things? What do you think? Yeah, that's a very interesting topic. And of course, the other thing to say is that when you think about it with the AI and what AI can do, uh, AI is going to replace more and more like of some of the tasks that we do, right? So now if you take from a perspective of enablement, which is focused on equipping the sellers within an organization in executing the sales activities to the best way possible, uh, you understand as well that enablement takes a lot of important responsibility in understanding, okay, how do we leverage AI within our organization to be better, right? So to be more efficient, more effective. Now, what I foresee for the future is that AI already slowly starting to replace the, for example, some of the tasks that an SDR, a sales development representative would do, like the aspect of setting up a meeting, right? a first meeting, right? So for example, you might receive, uh, I don't know, an inbound lead. In the future, potentially, you might see a situation where basically you will have an AI agent that will call the actual customer and have that very short conversation because it's capable of doing that and setting up the first meeting. Then after the, the first meeting would be then handled by an actual person, right? So you might see that. So I foresee for the future that maybe some of the role, part of the role, or even in some occasion when you're selling transactional products, uh, you will see maybe the SDRs being potentially replaced. And, and that means that you will have just, for example, account executives that handle the rest of the process, right? However, when it comes to more complex, we're talking, especially, and of course, you think about B2B complex solutions, right? That will be, of course, a lot more difficult. In that case, especially because you're interacting with multiple stakeholders within the prospect business, it requires a lot more uh, strategic thinking, a lot more interaction. Therefore, AI won't replace that because, of course, relationship building is at the core of B2B sales, right? It, it's about relationship. It's about people, ultimately. Instead, in more transactional sales, also 
B2C, more with consumers, you might see the uptake of AI even farther. Things might change though. We know, we know that in five years, something can come up that can uh, disrupt everything from an AI perspective. But I think that's how, how we are ended uh, with that. It's very exciting. There is a lot that can be done with automation and therefore sellers can focus more of their time on the actual craft or having conversations, but it's as well, we understand that it's uh, hard things to navigate and, and really keep up in an organization. I got it. Yeah, really interesting. You've spoken once or written about emotional intelligence in sales. What do you mean by that? I think emotional intelligence maybe is an, another umbrella term like sales enablement. and like people mentioned that, but they don't really, really know what it means. I think what's interesting is that more and more with time, as there has been more research put into this topic, uh, this, I would say, quality of emotional or skill of, of emotional intelligence is something that is more and more measurable. First of all, look, to talk about defining that, emotional intelligence can be defined as your ability to, first of all, become aware of the emotions of others, but also of your own internal world, right? Your own internal emotions, so that you can have better, more, let's say, productive and meaningful discussion and interaction with whoever you're speaking to, right? This is general. It can start from your family, the friends, your loved ones, people, acquaintances, people you know little. But then if you take in the world of sales, since we are speaking right now, it's exactly you know, the same thing. Ultimately, the people that have the highest emotional intelligence as far as they are sellers, they are the ones that are able to build rapport faster. They can be more trusted. They feel are, are perceived as more credible as well. If you take from a manager perspective, people who have high emotional intelligence are managers that are able to retain their direct reports for longer. They have data reports that are more motivated, more engaged, more fulfilled as well. That's a very important piece. Also, because we know that there is a lot of research that shows that a lot, most people live for because of their managers, right? So that's managerial skill is a very important skill. When you think about emotional intelligence, you generally break it down into a lot of areas. So I'm actually, if you really look into the actual framework of emotional intelligence, there are actually 12 to 15 areas of sub-skills that go under emotional intelligence. So it's one of those things that the more you go in, right, the more you realize you don't, there is so much you don't know and so much you maybe have to develop uh, as skill set. But generally, to summarize, the different areas focus on your own uh, self-perception and your own awareness of emotion. So, you know, you might talk about emotional self-awareness. You talk about self-regard, the extent to which you consider yourself in a positive way, right? Maybe this connects in a lot of areas like to self-esteem or self-confidence, things like that. But then you've got the other side, right? Things like empathy, for example. And that, as we know, in sales connects a lot to listening. How well are you good at listening? How well are you good at putting yourself in the shoes of the other side so that you can ask better questions and you can feel, they can feel understood, right? We know that buyers, they feel understood, feel valued. The ones that are more likely, of course, to buy from us because they like us for that reason. So you understand the implication of that from a perspective of likability, for example, which we know is a very important area of, of skill in sales. And then, of course, there are some ideas more about, of course, how do I handle pressure in stressful environments? So stress management, for example, is another important area of emotional intelligence because the question becomes, okay, what do I do when I'm under pressure? Am I able to handle that stress? Am I able to use that to do the right thing and act effectively? Or I become victim of that? Problem solving as well under pressure. Again, I say under pressure here because it's always about when emotions are involved. Because... Problem solving when there is no pressure whatsoever is different. In that case, emotion is not highly heightened, 
therefore, there is no other reason to talk about emotional intelligence. So these are some of the, you know, the era that will entail. You understand that as a salesperson, you're always under pressure, for example, right? So sellers are always under pressure. So you realize how that becomes even more important in that field compared maybe to other types of roles in business, right? So yeah, that's why I got interested in, in the idea of emotional intelligence in sales. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I need to agree that it, it needs to be fully considered, especially when you have sales teams. And I, I know that there is always stress, always. You're always late and you always need to hit the numbers and the numbers are always increasing. It's a very special situation where those people are in. But let's talk a bit about e-commerce because this is the e-commerce podcast, e-com-ops. So a bit of e-commerce we should cover. And it's anyway an interesting topic because more and more companies, even in B2B, yeah, are selling online. Yeah, they, are, they have the stores. They have, even for B2B companies, the printed catalogs and have a sales team going out and bringing those catalogs to the companies and selling physically, they're moving more and more into the online stores. What do you think? How should e-commerce businesses adapt their sales strategies to stay ahead? I guess, of course, you know, as you know, I think uh, the e-commerce world is a, is a very interesting world. Uh, it's not something I'm very much as experiencing an organization, like working very closely with the, with e-commerce businesses. But I think in the future, definitely, first of all, from a sales perspective, considering the way that maybe these businesses approach things, it's always about, number one, with the amount of technology that we have today, is understanding, you know, what we can, how much we can automate, especially, again, with the use of AI, what processes we put in place so that we can automate as much as we can. And then, of course, having the, if when, you know, the human side, let's say, is needed, is important then that you have sellers people interact with potential buyers that are really understanding, again, I come back to that point, understanding of the world of the people you are selling into. I think having these two sides allow you to maximize, let's say, the what technology can give you today, which I think we can pretty much almost do anything nowadays, right? But of course, we know that it's difficult yeah. to navigate. But then you, have, you also maintain the human side when it's needed, which I think is, very, is still very important. So when it comes to the, I think what I've seen in general, Norbert, in businesses is that, first of all, in business, it's very difficult that, to have expertise in an organization where you have people that are really good strategic thinker, which you think is today is very neat. So the understanding of how, based on what's available out there, based on the technology, based on the problem that we have internally and what we're trying to achieve, how do we put the pieces together? So how do you create systems, frameworks, processes that run automatically. And I think that requires a lot of planning, a lot of understanding uh, and being able to connect the dots. So I also suggest an organization to really find like this idea of strategic thinking, to find people then and being able to screen people based on this, with this skill. And I think if you then look, you know, you can search on Google or whatever, strategic thinking then is broken down into many areas. But I think in the future, I foresee with that you can do everything basically. But the question becomes, how do I put together the pieces of this everything in a way that fits my business? And I think in e-commerce e businesses, anyway, a, a, a type of, of field where there is a lot of evolution, as in many other areas, I think it's more important than ever uh, to be able to do so. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much. Our listeners really love uh, some kind of a case studies. Let's say some real life examples, like very good results that you achieved by implementing a good sales enablement. Do you have some 
idea what you could share with us? Uh, maybe an example I, I can take is, again, to the impact that identifying um, a, a selling methodology, rolling out the methodology can have on, on business. First, I think when you're looking at your, let's say, sales results, I would recommend everyone to focus on potentially what we call sales velocity. This is a term that some people might have heard, but generally sales velocity is simply an equation that, that demonstrates how fast you are generating revenue. Uh, and normally within this equation, you will have uh, the number of opportunities. You have things like win rate, deal size, and then the time to close, how long it takes to close a deal. When I'm doing an enablement program, that is my North Star. So in a previous business I worked with, which was Go Carnes, which is a, in the UK is a very well-known organization and some, also somewhat in Europe, which is a, essentially a bank-to-bank payment platform uh, where you're able to mm-hmm. send process payments and, and so forth. And it's a very well-known fintech organization. So what we did is that the company, of course, has a, has a very high deal size on average. So working with very big businesses. And we introduced this methodology, which is the MedPick methodology that maybe some of your listeners might be kind of aware of because it's one of the most popular ones. So what we did is that we did a program of six months where we went through a first phase of providing the sellers with the general training, right? About what is this methodology? How do you understand it? How do you leverage it in your sales interaction? How do you leverage it in managing the opportunities in your pipeline, right? So you go through that first phase. The second phase then becomes building an operational system within your organization. So updating the CRM to reflect that methodology. You're also looking at the deal reviews that you might do with the managers, the win-loss analysis. We implemented as well, like a number of playbooks that follow the training so that you are always, people can always access some quick reminders, quick job aids to continue to practice the methodology between one stage and the next of the sales cycle. At, by the end of this process, in about six months' time, we were expecting, of course, to reach a point where there is somewhat of, we're not yet to second nature within for this methodology, but we are, let's say, the situation where people are doing this at, with ease, right? There is no more too much of conscious effort required to use this methodology. So within six months in Gokales, we reached that. We were very close to that. And I think the first outcomes that we saw, it was a, a very high increase in, uh, in win rate, which uh, I think is uh, something that most organizations see. So we got a 25% increase in the win rate, which then, if you consider that we are talking about deal sizes that go in the range of the average might be out of above 100K. Now you realize across very extensive number of businesses that we work with, that was in the millions of revenue generating more to a rollout. Wow. Of a new so that's, a, and that's something you can do, of course, as a bigger impact in businesses that have, let's say you're talking about businesses that might have 800, 900 employees in this case, are generating hundreds of millions of revenue per, per year. But of course, if you're a smaller business, the impact might not be as great. And therefore, I realized the fact that a extensive rollout of a methodology has more impact in organizations that are larger size. But still, you know, I, I'm now in Gokal in GetAccept, which is a smaller company. Right? We're talking about a, a sales team of like 50 to 60 people, which maybe some organizations that are listening to this might relate to more. But still, you can gain a lot of other benefits because aside from the win rate, you can also have a situation, for example, when you start actually increasing the deal size. For example, in Get Accept right now, we're on a journey, similar journey. However, the aim right now is for us is to move from, let's say, a 7K average deal size to move to a 25K deal size. Now, you understand as well that, that if you're able to achieve that, maintaining the base of customer you have now, let's say, you know, you are actually bringing in the same amount of customer you always brought, but now are higher size customer because you're targeting just different ICP, 
again, that can translate in the millions as well, based on also our base. So it all depends on what kind of metrics you're looking at. So in get accepted, in go kindness, sorry, was more like we wanted to impact win rate. And that was our most important metrics based on the analysis we have done to increase the sales velocity that I've discussed. In, in get accept right now, the focus for us is on deal size, increasing the deal size right now. That's the most important metric we're tied to it. I don't have yet the results. We're not three months in. We're expecting to six to 12 months to really evaluate the results. But maybe, you know, uh, I'll let you know and, and we, we can get to another case study. Uh, Would be very up. interesting. Yeah. Let's yeah. go directly into the case study with uh, Get Accept later on. Thank you. That's really very interesting and, and very helpful. And it really shows that it works. We're close to the end, but uh, two things that I want to ask is, and this is so typical, every kind of business has the biggest mistakes you can make. What is the biggest three mistakes or one or two, three mistakes that, that are done typically in sales? Yeah, for sure. Uh, again, of course, I take always the enablement angle. Uh, for me, I think one of the first mistakes I make in my career is that of not gaining enough buy-in from the sales managers or the management team, but also sponsorship from the very top of the organization. So often you might find yourself in an organization like working in silos, so the idea, like I do my own thing and I go in out there and roll out something like a piece of training or whatever other initiatives you're looking at, roll out of a technology, for example, in an organization. I think what the first mistake that a lot of companies make, and I make myself, is that of not looping in the right way early on in the process, the management team, the leadership team. Because if you think about it, they are the ones that will have to enforce or reinforce, let's say, the training they will have to reinforce the use of a tool. So if you don't have that support, things are going to fall flat. And I think a lot of companies spend millions in, in sales training, for example. But the reason why this doesn't stick is because they don't have a managerial team that is ready to continuously support. That's the number one biggest mistake. The second one I can tell you is that a lot of companies think that tools are the things that solve problems. Reality is that so what companies do, they throw tools at problems. The truth is that Problems stems not from tools. It's always a change management problem that might be in the organization. There is always a people problem in most cases, and there is a collaboration problem, and then also processes as well. So what I recommend to companies that you have a problem, instead of looking at a tool, first figure out what's the process that will help solve the problem, right? Identify what's the right process that we need to put in place. Then within that process, if a tool will help, then you get a tool, but don't go the route of, I uh, first get the tool and then I figure out the rest. Because I, again, I've seen that in GoCarnes in uh, previously, loads of tools have brought in the organization as the company has got cash, but the reality is that you, then you don't have capacity to enable the use of the tool in the organization. So you have in tools that are standing there, no one is using them. And that's a typical problem uh, of organization I also see. Yeah, seen it myself as well. Absolutely, <laughs> fully agree. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, Federico, it was really a wonderful interview. Thank you so much for your lot of insights. Last question for the day. Who has told you the most about sales in your career? Sure. I was lucky enough that the first business I joined in sales was a business owned by a, a salesperson, right? He built a company of 500 people. He started this company using the phone. So he was himself alone with a phone at the time. So therefore, even if I was one of the 500 employees, I, get, I got to really interact closely with this person. And, and I think for me, I understood 
first what sales means, what it entails, and what can lead to. And, uh, you know, this was the founder of uh, GDS Group, which is one of the previous company I worked for. And I think he has told me uh, a lot in, in sales. One of the biggest, I think, influences in my, let's say, my sales journey. Then over time from that, I've had other men. But I think that has been the thing that, as you say, probably looking for the spark and really like the right inputs that I needed at the time to progress in my career. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. Maybe one thing to, to mention, books are always very interesting. And one of my favorite books when it comes to sales is Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends. I think it's worth reading it when it, it, it it's not about processes and everything. It's all about the soft facts. I would say the emotional part of sales. That's, I think, a good book when you are about starting to go into sales. Federico, do you have anything, any book that you could recommend? Yeah, and I think that's How to Win Friends. I think it's a great classic. That you can consider. Of course, for example, a great book that I would recommend for sellers out there, it might be Gap Selling. Gap Selling is a very well-known book and also a, a way of selling that uh, is very interesting. So that would be my pick. One, one of those that I've read more recently that has been very good and also I have very positive feedback from a lot of the sellers. Thank you very much. We will post these in the blog post as links as well so you can look forward to it. And uh, yo, guys. Thank you so much for listening, Federico. Thank you so much for attending our show. If you liked it, yeah, don't uh, forget to give us a like, give us a review, and come back for the next episode. Thank you so much. See you soon. Bye-bye. And that's it for this episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for Ecom Ops Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app. And then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time.